Welcome to Marsha's Plate, a black trans inclusive feminist podcast. A place where we know that not everybody is invited to the cookout. And we also know that every single day is a brand new day and we have the power to make a difference today. So let's do this. You can hashtag Marsha's Plate. You can follow us on most social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all of that. Just search for Marsha's Plate, M-A-R-S-H-A-S-P-L-A-T-E. Y'all ready? Let's get started. Hey, what's up, y'all? So, we have been seeing a bunch of um, red dresses running around. Have you been seeing this on your timeline? Baby, honey, baby. I was a little confused because I was seeing some of the butcher of the butch queens, you know, walking around with, with their red dresses. <laughs> and honey, I don't know if you know this about me, but I am a fan of androgyny, honey. All the non-binary kids are quick to get my attention. All the gender non-conforming G and Cs. Yes. I be looking. Yes, baby, honey. If I can't tell what's between your legs, there's something about that that just twirls my spirit. But anyway, you know, <laughs> I, done been, I done been single for a while. And I had met this child when I was in Charlotte, Diamond. I had met this child in Charlotte. Um, what is it? North Carolina, South Carolina? I get them mixed up. North Carolina. Met this child in Charlotte, North Carolina. We have been mutuals online for whatever. When I tell you that this little thing was gorgeous in person, long story short, that's who it popped up on my timeline in this little red skirt. And I was like, oh, I know we giving it up like that. And then I looked and all the butch queens had on their red skirts. But what do you know about this red dress run, as they call it, Diamond? So I don't know shit about it. <laughs> I have seen it in multiple years because it's been going on for a while. But I always thought that it was some type of charity towards something. I didn't know exactly what the charity was for. And so I I just thought it was, you know, like you see people in the pink for breast cancer or um, you know, I just thought it was some type of thing where they were just fundraising for something and it just got popular amongst the queens, the, the, the butch queens. I just, I didn't know what it was. So let's read and see what it is. So the red dress runs are, aren't exclusive to New Orleans, even though that is the biggest one that I have seen because, you know, I'm from Houston. So I see, I, you know, that's around our area. So we see a lot of stuff like that. But this is not the only one that can claim that it's the biggest little dress even in the world. 
there are thousands of people around that um, that participate in this annual red dress run. Now, the history of it is that this white woman and her friends were supposed to um, their friend. Her friends were supposed to go on a run because they were like like a drinking buddy group and they were supposed to go on a run. And she didn't know that they were running. She thought she was coming and it was going to be you know, alcohol and, uh, you know, a little brunch kind of vibe, but it wasn't that she came to their event and it was actually like a, not a marathon, but a running type of vibe, but she wasn't dressed for the occasion. She only had on a red dress. And so that one incident made her, her friends turn it into a red dress moment that turned into a thing. And it just, it just led into, um, people all around the country doing the red dress run in order to um, fundraise for other types of things. It's not just one thing that they fundraise for. They fundraise for multiple things. I've gotten the impression that, um, in a little bit of reading that I've done thus far, I've gotten the impression that whatever city or area you're running in in your red dress, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you're supporting you're supporting some local charity of, yes. of that area is, is the impression that I've gotten. Yes, it's usually the first, I mean, the second Saturday of August. So this year it is August the 12th. Um, so it just passed just recently. And you and the people that you are, where whoever is over like the registration, you the cost of registration kind of could vary varies depending on where you sign up and you know related event who is your um organizer um you decide i think your organizers decide who is going to be the charity that you are registering to um support i don't think it's a specific thing like you know when you wear the pink and or you go for the a's walk or you know what i'm saying just different i don't think it's a specific thing i think each local group that does it does it based on um i think their local area like you said so i think i got the basic gist of it and and correct me if i'm wrong so becky's a little ditzy she comes to the charity run in her red dress thinking that they about to have cocktails and kick back but she pays (laughs) it ends up running in her red dress for whatever charity and then it becomes uh and you will thing yeah I think that's adorable. I think that's so cute. I think especially your fundraising, it's a good thing. I think something kooky is that turning into something as big as what it has turned into, especially for our people to jump in on the bandwagon because, you know, I have been seeing a lot of my Black Butch Queen friends participate in this run. And they, especially the one with the bodies and the cakes and the thighs and the legs out in these dresses. <laughs> Didn't I tell you my experience? Didn't I tell you how I found out about this red dress? It is clearly an excuse for the butch queens to get halfway in drag. You know, most they butch, love that. Most butch queens love any excuse to put on the easy access outfit. I love that. I love it. I love it. I love it. Especially when they go in like groups, because I have been seeing my particular friends go is from New Orleans go in like droves like it's about like 13 of them they all do it every year and yeah. register 
Yeah, I see. I'm a. I'm gonna be down there. I'm gonna be out there one of these one of these years, maybe a couple of these years. In my red dress, honey, I'm gonna. I'm gonna see what what these bitch queens could do. See if they want to switch roles. You know, I might put on some red balling shorts and and a red bra top. You know what I mean? A red sports bra. See if they want to switch roles. What can you do in this red dress other than run, butch queen? Let me. <laughs> People have invited me and I registered just to support, like register just to, you know, put my name in the register, pay the registration fee, just to donate to whatever the cause is, like the AIDS walk or stuff like that. But I've never actually participated in walking these types of events because, you know, you know, I've been a big girl for, you know, about 10 years and, you know, that's just not really my tea. <laughs> I understand it. You know, I done been a big girl most of my life. You know, I had a period where I was doing the pills and things, you know, and I had got <laughs> Um, But, you know, I done been a big girl and for a long time, I used to avoid physical activity outside of Vogue mm -hmm. for a long time because as a woman, transitioning into a woman, I felt like it was very masculine or very un unladylike to be seen like sweaty and public. Mm. Yes. So um, but you know, I I do use And I that's do, all made up in our head, because I think I agree with that. I think there's a level of um that kind of ooh looking all glistening and wet and drenched mm -hmm. and disheveled mm -hmm. that come that just doesn't feel feminine. <laughs> And that and that's another that's another aspect. That's the bigger aspect for me. It doesn't feel feminine. Um, however, I am, you know, pre I, I still have that side of me where I like to be out and I like to be social and I like to have an excuse to be around the people. So and plus I come from a sickly family. So mm. it's always an excuse to walk, honey, whether it's some type of cancer, honey, a lupus, honey, a sickle cell, anything that affects black people, hypertension, heart disease. <laughs> honey girl i'm outside now don't get me wrong i probably won't walk long or walk far but i'll have a t-shirt on and i'll and i you know walk because i was always the active big girl like i was the big girl that bows and you know um i was a competitive gymnast as a child so you know what i mean i i don't i don't want to lose that and i could feel myself definitely losing it um when i do things just like you know, walking a couple blocks, going to a music festival or something. Mm. It mm. does. I, I, I'm not there now. I think when about probably like two years ago, um, I was inspired to really get more active. And I did start going to the gym um, about a year ago. And I do feel a physical difference when I started to go to the gym on a consistent basis. When it comes to my energy and my flexibility and my not being winded by um, just basic activities, those things did make a difference in me participating in things. But I've always been, I, I don't know if it's, um, I know that helped, but if you ask my friends, I am the active one. Like when we go traveling, I'm the one that's going on the walking tours. I'm the one that's going and doing like the um, um, ATV riding. I'm the one that's doing like the activity stuff as opposed to my other friends, they wanna be doing the um, spy laid on the beach and you know, getting rubbed down with some oils or something, which I don't mind that shit either, but 
I'm always looking for the activity to do when we are out of town. And so I don't want to say I'm just like inactive because I am the, the active one. But it, when I started hitting the gym, it got much, much better and much more um, easier for me. It was it just it just started to be a better experience where I wasn't sore for the next three days. It was like, oh, I ain't sore at all because I've been active anyway. So that's what it started to be. It started to just make, make it more easier. Mm-hmm. A factor for, for me in particular, I think definitely COVID. I think I haven't, I think my life has definitely become a lot more sedentary since COVID. I think I got comfortable with a lot of things that I wasn't comfortable with before, like comfortable ordering delivery instead of going and pick it up, you know. Um, but I'm attempting to incorporate more physicality into my everyday life since I'm not really a workout girl. I plan on getting a bike. And so whenever I do stuff um nearby, like within a mile's distance, I'm just gonna, I'm just I'm just gonna bike there and back. And don't get me wrong, this ain't gonna be no mongoose. This ain't no <laughs> baby. No, I'm gonna have me a beach cruiser with a basket in the front and a basket on the back, you know. And I'm gonna I got me a bike child maybe like five years ago. And cause we had like a little bike shop down the street from me. And I got it and it was hurting my ass. Like I was trying to, I switched out the seat. I switched out the, I switched out the seat. I, I got a cover for it. I even um, like tied some towels on top of it so it can feel softer and better. Baby, that was wearing my ass and my gooch out. <laughs> hey, sis, I ain't, I ain't trying to be funny, sis. But baby, I think you, I think you and a lot of the girls will probably need, especially Macy. It's no shame. I'm one, <laughs> I'm one of the girls who is cursed and blessed with not a lot of ass. <laughs> I have minimal ass, just enough to to notice that it's there. You know, if it gets any smaller, if I lose any weight, it's very much given two <laughs> with titties. It's very much given Wendy Williams. Um. So yeah, I I can imagine that a lot of y'all girls need especially seats because I'm not going to lie. Like I said, I don't have as much ass as most of the trans women that I know, especially black trans women. <laughs> you know, because I'm just not blessed with it. Even the girls that that don't have work done and stuff. You know, a lot of times them hormones that that fills out. You know, the bottom your bottom half when black women tends to fill out more than your top half or whatever. With me, I just didn't get that jink. Mm. Um, and I still have to do, you know, have to end up replacing the seat and getting a wider seat. So I can't imagine, honey girl. Uh, I remember giving, I just, I, I just, it just was such a bad experience that I gave my bike to my Mexican neighbor <laughs> and he lived because it was a sickening bike, but he lived. But I just gave the bike away. I said, I'm just going to do my cardio another way because I thought that because I had these different trails. I mean, Houston's got tons of like scenic and trails and stuff like that. So I thought, okay, I'm going to just ride my bike down the trails, the many trails that I like. And I did it for like a couple of days. And I was like, child, no, this is, it literally was making my boots raw. Like oh. it was, uh, it was horrible. I hated yeah. it. Uh. Well, I, I have to experiment. I have to experiment. I haven't done a lot of bike riding since transition, so I don't know how the whole tucking aspect is is really going. Oh, back. I ain't tucking while I'm riding a fucking bike. <laughs> that's what I was. That's what I was getting ready to say. You know, it's it's very like we going to give a non-tucking situation. 
Yeah, I'm gonna do some loose clothes and you're gonna get regular walks around. Yes. <laughs> so I think this red dress thing, I think I would wanna do it because of the color. I am attracted to red. Red is one of my one of my not my favorite color, but one of my favorite colors. And it is something just to be able to tip around and see this big group of red. I'm a person who loves group fucking activities. So shit like that is something fun for me. I love my like I don't I'm not really into sports, but one of my favorite things of going to sports events is when the whole stadium does like a wave. You know how like it's going around the whole stadium and this group is going like this. Uh, just that kind of everybody wave. Shit like that is really reminds me of being a little kid. And so stuff like this where I'm it's tons of red dresses walking down <laughs> the street. I feel like that'd be so dope. So I will participate in that. But usually I don't find out about shit until it's already over. I mean, I must not be looking or not paying attention to it. But I'm glad this year has kind of been, kind of been a big thing because I actually put it on my calendar so I know it's coming up. So if I wanted to participate, I know I can participate. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I've been thinking about it a lot. It looks like I'm going to be spending a lot of time in Louisiana next summer because I'm planning on going to the Red Dress and to Essence. Yeah. Oh, they back to back, child. Yeah. Month to month. I couldn't go to Essence this year because, you know, I went to um, Amsterdam, but my girl, my homegirls went and I want to go with them. I don't want to, I don't, I never really been interested in going to Essence because it gives me very respectable auntie. It gives me very, very India already. I always thought it was that. They have gotten a little bit younger crowd and a little bit less, but as you can tell, the response to Megan Thee Stallion and da 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 da, because of that shit, I was like, I don't know, I don't think I would want to go just on my own accord. But if my homegirls go, yes, I'll go with them and we can have a good time. But I never really. It's coming from from what I noticed because um in the past few years you know that Essence has incorporated um men black gay men specifically into their infrastructure of their company oh. um you know in into high administrative positions um working alongside the the black cis women and I've always felt like no shade. Why did the black men make it there before the black trans women? How, how, you know, how and not how, because I know how, but why, you know? So instead of me being like how or why, I'm just going to start taking up space in, in these arenas. I'm just going to start taking up space in black women's spaces and um, building, building from the ground up like I always do. Oh. In my brain, I don't. When I'm in spaces such as like Essence or in like Black Girls Rock or you know when I think of spaces like that, I I do not think I'm outside of it. So when I in in my brain, I don't feel like I'm taking up space. I feel like I'm coming to an event for me. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. cisgender folks are the default, so I'm of course knowing that this is intended for cisgender folks, but. I don't know if it's because I have transitioned for a very, very long time or, but, but I don't feel when I'm in spaces with intentionally made for black cis women, 
I don't feel outside of it. I feel like it is made for me too. So I just come. I don't really think of it like, oh, I'm coming up like a, a protest or I'm coming in to take up space. I don't think of that. I'm like, this is for black women. So I'm coming. Now, if, it's, if we're talking about it's an abortion event or something specifically, oh, fibroids, you know, something specifically towards a female body, then maybe. But when it comes to just like a celebration of black womanhood, I never think I'm outside of that. When I think of when I think about myself, I never think I'm outside of that. I think of myself inside that circle. So when I come to it, I'm just coming to it. And usually if it's any kind of a shakeup, it's a surprise to me because I'm not thinking that I'm shaking anything up, bitch. I'm a black woman. So what what's the tea? You see what I'm saying? Uh-huh. I um I, I get exactly what you're saying. And it's possible because you started transitioning as like a teenager, like before you graduated high school, right? Ninety-four. Yeah. Um, for me, it was right after, you know, mm-hmm. it was it was um my late teens, early twenties when I when I started to transition. So for me, I I'm sure that I probably battle a little more of that imposter syndrome than you. Mm. Um, and just me being me and being so queer and you know not being straight, not not being a straight black woman, not being a straight trans woman. Um, I feel like I think I, that's I, a good. I think that's a good point though that you're bringing up because there is because of how the type of trans women we are. Um, not me and you individually, but as a whole group of trans, trans femme, trans women, I think it does make it easier it, when you are a trans woman that aligns with the binary and aligns with, um, um, you know, that kind of values blending into that as opposed to a woman who, you know, like you, I feel like you passed. So I feel like maybe it may not be your intention, but you have a, you have a queerness about you. And so therefore, when you go into that space, you you automatically can be seen as like a queer woman. Even if you're passing as a cis queer woman, you're not passing as a straight, serious, straight woman. And so that could put you in a position where these this group could treat you as an outsider, not outside of black womanhood, but outside of cis heterosexual womanhood. Do you feel that? Yes, yes. Um, I was having this conversation over the weekend. I am rarely clocked for being trans. Um, you know, even with social media, I was making content for years before people realized I was trans and it wasn't something that I had on purpose. However, I am commonly clocked for being queer. I'm commonly yes. seen um, as, you know, lesbian, bisexual, depending on how I'm presenting that day. Um, because Why do you think that is? Um, I, I think it's because I'm I'm not stereo I'm not stereotypical um high femme all the time. Um I'm comfortable um wearing boys' clothes and being I've I've always been the tomboy out of all of the trans women I know, cis women I know, I've always been the tomboy. I could turn on the high femme, you know, I could give it, but it's just not who I am every day, no. Do you think I one of the things I jokingly talk about with my um queer women friends? is that black queer women have a look do you think that you fit that look i do <laughs> what is that yeah so what is that look for people who are listening what do you think that look is 
I think, um, it, especially with, uh, because I'm definitely more on the femme side of, of the spectrum. I'm, I'm not, I'm not a stud. I'm not a butch. I don't, I couldn't look like that even in boy clothes. Um, but I do, I, I think, I think, oh, it's going to sound so disrespectful. I think that us queer black women, especially, we tend to have kinds of like um, a female football player looks us. <laughs> what? <laughs> it's, it's um it's it's very it's it's very femme, but it's undertones of butch. It's very much like you know this this the type of girl that that'll fuck a bitch up. Like don't you don't even have to tell females not to play with you. They can sense it even if you even if you in heels and lashes. <laughs> I mean it's. I'm I'm not sure if it's so much of a look, but an energy we give off that that's that's like I'll beat a nigga like mm. like don't like like bitch bitch don't don't fuck with me. And I think it's common for trans women in general to have that energy, but because I'm not always high femme, you you know they they typically expect us to be high femme and and exaggerated feminine features. My feminine features aren't very exaggerated at all. It's it's very minimal. Um. And so I, and because I'm sure, I think people don't clock me as trans, but they still feel that big dick energy. Mm. I think for me, it when I when I see it, and when it when I, it's rare because I am typical high film. Um, when when I do get the energy of people clocking me as a queer woman, which I can really tell the difference really really quick, is usually when I'm wearing my natural hair. So usually that is a hallmark of you know, a queer black woman, she usually has gone through the process of saying, oh, this relaxed shit is kind of corny and whack. So I ain't really fucking with this. You know, they have done some type of inner work that says that relaxer shit ain't really for me. Not saying that they, there's not something out here, but usually they got, they're rocking their natural, whether it be long or short, they're doing something like that. There, yeah. is, there is a colorful Afrocentric vibe as well so you gonna get you know piercings you gonna get big earrings you gonna get like you got the choke or something that's gonna give some kind of remnants of the motherland that you that we gonna give it. it it may be something earthy metal it's gonna be something that's um that shows our blackness whether it be in color whether it be in um style and it's going to be reminiscent of that kind of afrocentric kind of vibe it's going to be a cross go ahead i didn't even think of it think of it like that but i i think you're absolutely onto something i i think the whole idea like once i accepted my queerness and once i started dating people who didn't identify as cis male people who didn't identify as straight um people who didn't identify as male at all um, I didn't, I no longer felt the pressure to fit certain, um, feminine stand, feminine beauty standards. Uh -huh. You know, I, I no longer felt the pressure to wear the weaves or the wigs. I no longer felt the pressure to wear makeup every day. I no longer felt the pressure to wear the lashes. When I was dealing with dudes and dating dudes, you would never have caught me online. You know, look, look at how I'll be looking now with, with my Afro pulls up in a ponytail and a t-shirt on. You know what I mean? And um, I think because I was always, whether consciously or subconsciously, um, I was always keeping in mind that I need to be attractive to a certain demographic. And mm. now, and now 
for for many reasons, I don't feel the need to be attractive to that demographic, not even professionally, because, you know, even in my psychology work, even in social media, I have an audience in queer black women. I don't, I don't, I don't need, I don't need the the straight cisgender man to to support me. Mm, interesting, interesting. Oh my God! I want to thank all of our new patrons this week. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yay, 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 yay! So not only are you helping to sustain this particular podcast, you know. I also donate to other podcasts. I donate to other organizations. I have my finger on the post of the community. And I know a lot of grassroots organizations that are doing great work out here. So you're not only helping to sustain us, you're helping to sustain other people in a community. Because I put my money where my mouth is. You know, that's just the kind of bitch I am. Community is fuck. <laughs> so thank you. I really, really appreciate you. And if you have not become a patron, why have you not? You can donate as low as a dollar a month. It doesn't matter. Anything helps. Please. Do I have to play Sarah McLaughlin and show you puppies? Like, what do I have to do? Do I have to do resort to what the white people do to get you to give them money? <laughs> Alrighty. Anyway, thank y'all. And the Patreon and PayPal link is at the bottom. Back to the show. So I think this brings me to a topic that I want to discuss. We didn't previously discuss this when we were about to start, but I think it it rolls right into this. So somebody sent me a message and I want to read it to you. This comes from my friend Justin. Hey Justin. Um Justin says, hey, what are your thoughts on straight men liking studs? It feels like obvious fluid sexuality and an acceptance of gender fluidity. What do you think about that? What's your mindset? And so I responded. I think it's interesting because everybody has their line of what is attractive and what they're turned on by. Sometimes that is body parts. And sometimes that is rooted in masculinity or femininity, that kind of dichotomy there. So it's easily simplified as they're, um, it's easily can be simplified as they're still women because they have a vagina. A lot of people love to say, that's still a woman. Yeah, she dressed like she, she masculine, but that's still a woman. But I think when you add the masculine aspect of a stud and how masculine they are, how far they go with the masculinity, it really showcases the fluidity of men's sexuality too. Because I do think that there is a difference between uh, you dealing with a high femme woman and you dealing with somebody that looks like uh, basically a man and they just so happen to have a vagina. And they're so masculine that they don't have that rem- that remnants of that high femme and you you get past that just for the vagina i think that does say something about the fluidity of men's sexuality um also and it's not it's not that i don't know that it it, it that it wasn't fluid already you get what i'm saying it's not that i didn't know from my own personal experience as a trans woman i knew that men's fluid sexuality was fluid period just be based on my experience with them but because if you look you look at like sex toys nowadays people are fucking fleshlights they're fucking all kinds of contraptions even more than what we used to see it's kind of all kinds of strange things 
happening and when it comes to like sex toys and things things that don't even look human i said people are fucking kind of anything now and and i want to say other uh, another thing is that people don't understand that masculinity doesn't to me in my own personal opinion there are some women that are so beautiful that masculinity does not take away um the beautiful female form like doesn't um away from their from their fem feminine aesthetic like yeah like how i was saying this it's even true with us trans women e even with me for example i could have a butch girlfriend and well i've i've had boyfriends where we've literally worn the same. i've done the matching outfit thing in in all of my relationships i'm corny like that right i'm 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 even even with a trans man i'm going to look like a woman you know i'm going to be perceived as a woman and he's going to be perceived as a man even in the same outfit literally bought in the same section of the store maybe even the same size right um and you know i could i've had stud girlfriends and well a stud girlfriend and it's been the same thing she looked like a stud and i look like a femme who was dressing like my stud girlfriend right sex and sexuality is very social it's very sex and sexuality is very social and psychosomatic it's very social in in how we identify right so uh butch lesbian um even you know um your typical cis guy your typical ignorant cis guy is going to be like oh but but he still got a pussy they still got a vagina you know that's that's what the typical cis guy is going to say right but but in reality i think it's even bigger than that it's even broader than that and in, in actuality this person still identifies as female this this person told you that that they were a woman you know this person is is cis identifying this person is woman identifying you know their assignment at birth their genitals their body outside of these clothes matches everything that that you associate with cis womanhood right everything that 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 this person associates with womanhood in general even if it's a straight guy who's not trans attracted but into studs right it's also a possibility that um with the nuances and queerness it's also a possibility in some of these cases where these guys could be turned on by the fact of somebody who could be turned on by the fact of dominating these women or bringing the femininity out of them in the bedroom or the opposite or the mm -hmm. opposite or the of uh, this is this what makes this particular type of woman sexy is that she is not like the submissive feminine da, da, da. she is a woman in the physicality of the whole thing but she's also dominant she's also a masculine and we i think we take away the homoeroticism that it, that permeates through men's sexuality anyway that people like to ignore um and also that that presentation that um some that nuance and presentation also plays a part in the taboo of the experience like i in, when i think about us like as trans women um you know we you know as trans women we love to say they see us as a woman so it's they're straight and so 
blah, blah, blah. Well, I do think in certain circumstances that is true. But I also have met men who, while they may not ever engage with my penis, the fact that it is there, they may not suck it. They may not get fucked by it. They might not do anything with my penis. But just the fact that it is present in the scenario is what it's makes it erratic, is what makes it erotic. Like, no, I don't I don't want to touch it. I don't want you to fuck me. I don't want to suck it. But the fact that you have it, the fact that it's there when I'm beating your cakes in from the back or when I'm with whatever I'm doing with you, it is there. That particular part of it is erotic. And so mm -hmm. I think that's the same thing with, you know, masculine women. Yes. You have a pussy. You got the typical physical parts that I that I like as far as a man. Um, and you know when you take them clothes off, you ain't gonna you giving the woman shape and blah 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 blah. But just the swag of you being this masculine thing, that and it is okay for me to explore that part of the section, uh, explore that with you because you are a woman. It's like, ooh, I can play with I can play with this kind of nuance without talking about it because I can seem like, oh, it's just this is just a still a woman. But I can play with that kind of nuance of presentation that I may not be able to play with any other way. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. that's how I think. Yeah. About. No, re realistically, I think that we're here to constant constantly remind people variance in gender. Uh, gender variant people. I think we're constantly here to remind the cishet folks that there's not that much difference between male and female dynamics. There's not that much difference between gay and straight. There's not, it's it's really not as big of a deal as we make it out socially. And what you were saying about the whole eroticism aspect of it, I feel like that's the the psychosomatic point point of it. Like you have to be able to get your mind around it in order to to be um in order to to react physically you have to get your minds around it in order to engage you have to be get your minds around it in order to perform right um and it's um it's a lot of cisgender guys who are identifying as straight and are here doing the same exact thing in the bedroom with studs as they would do as as gay cisgender men are doing in the bedroom with trans men mm -hmm. You know, yeah. and, and that's what I mean by that. There's not that much different. There are men who are out here doing the same things in the bedroom with cisgender women as they are doing with trans women. I think that we we the, the illusion is that. People assigned female at birth. Are more sexually fluid than people who are assigned male at birth. I think that there is an illusion because of the freedom that we sometimes give people who are assigned female at birth when it comes to their sexuality. Oh no, that's consistent. That that yes. is that is a, a consistent freedom that we give, especially in in Western society. That is a consistent freedom we give. We give people assigned female at birth more allowance to be gender variant and sexually variant. Yes. And so what we see playing behind closed doors is People assigned male at birth are also just as fluid when it comes. They just don't talk about it in the same way. They're not allowed to talk about it in the same way. They're not allowed to be as free. And so we see it show up in their actual behaviors. We see it show up in their actual um, participation in sexuality. Yes. Mm -hmm. Does it get kind of toxic when they try to force, um, um, not force as in right, but force as in, um, these ideals 
the, the, you see them kind of try to do, do these acrobats to make it seem like it's normal, but it's actually not. It's like you are kind of breaking your code and doing things outside the box. You're just trying to force it into this normal. Oh, that's just that's still a woman. Yeah, it is. But you're not going to ignore that this this woman is extremely masculine. This woman is not just a regular woman and you still were attracted to her. This mm-hmm. this woman looks like one of your homeboys. <laughs> yeah, this, this, this woman is is essentially a man with with an extra orifice, right? So I thought that was interesting that you were talking about. I wanted to b- kind of bring that subject up because you of how nuanced we kind of we can present because we are the nuance between us is is something people may not even notice because we both identify as trans femme there is a nuance between how we how we participate in the and navigate the world so i wanted to kind of talk about that both both identifying completely as as trans women you know Mm -hmm. what do y'all think about cis straight men dating having sex and sexual experiences with masculine women assigned female ever what do y'all think about that hashtag marcia's play well, apparently, I don't know if you heard about this diamond, but in Nashville, the Vanderbilt Medical Center, they they have a or had a trans clinic before all of this legality going on and with trans health care and them attempting to police our bodies, police our health care. Tennessee is one of the states that have been affected. Vanderbilt Medical Center is has this trans clinic, is known to be a place for resources for trans people medically, or was known to be a place for trans people medically. A few months ago this year, Vanderbilt turns over over 100 patients' records. Ooh over 100 transgender patients' records, to be specific. This is arguably legal because Tennessee has asked for these records regarding a medical billing fraud case that, that, they're, that they're pursuing, right? Now, this medical billing fraud all revolves around anti-transness, transphobia, um, and, and the fact that a lot of our medical care or the speculation, the, the rhetoric that a lot of our medical care is unnecessary and fraudulent. Right. So Vanderbilt has, has been forced to turn over over 100 patients' records, right? That was a big deal in itself. So a lot of times when we are getting our care, different aspects of our care, specifically if you're in these kind of southern um, states that don't have like affirming care like New York or California, who are used to billing insurance companies and billing different places, they are used to coding it a certain way. They are used to the process. So they get things covered when it comes to insurance. But when you get into these states, um, that are not trans affirming and insurance companies know 
that these states are not trans affirming. It's easier for them to deny you your trans health coverage because they know this is not one of them states that's gonna go up for you and support you and support you, um, the insurance company paying for these particular trans affirming care services. And so what is happening is Tennessee is saying, hey, let give us all your trans team so that we can figure out who is doing, who is coding these surgeries in a different way, coding the this care in a different way. Because sometimes in these states and in these in in the in these states that are not affirming, if the doctor knows how to code them, medical codes, and we're talking about medical codes, if they know how to code them in a way that doesn't bring up, doesn't kind of show up as kind of a flag to the insurance company, the insurance company will just approve it. It's not that they're coding it wrong or coding it illegally. They're just coding it in a way that just doesn't go up in a flag. So let me give you a perfect example. Trans men for a long time, not all of them, but trans men for a long time was able to get their top surgery covered by insurance because if they're they're coding it as them as a man and their, their identification has M on it, they can code it as fixing gynecomastia because that is a medical condition that men have that they feel is medically necessary to fix because men are not supposed to have breasts. So if they code them as fixing gynecomastia and their identification matches that they are male, then they can come and get it um, sponsored or paid for by the insurance because it's medically necessary. Now, what would normally what was something that could be a problem is if they still have F, then that's a problem because F does not get their, um, does not get gynecomastia technically. You see what I'm saying? I can add some nuance to, to that, to that statement. Um, for example, in, in a state where trans affirming health, healthcare is not is not accepted in the, in the state that's not trans affirming and a patient has an, an F on their license or, or in a state that is trans affirming and a person has a, has an F on their license, there's ways to code and to bypass codes for trans men top surgeries by disguising it or coding it as, um, breast reductions, um, you know, um, they can also, I've also seen cases where doctors have been able to code top surgery for trans people assigned female at birth because of their family's, uh, history of cancer, breast cancer specifically. Um, so, so it's, it's various ways for doctors to follow their own ethical and moral code while getting around the legality of various state mm -hmm. laws against trans healthcare. Now, keep in mind, if we were allowed the access to the proper healthcare as we should, as any other human, doctors wouldn't have to to jump through these these hoops and and do these things. But but like Diamond says, and in, in this case, unfortunately, they have. Um, and it's probably very likely. I I can't say say this. Uh, officially, but I'm imagining that it's very likely that in Tennessee, trans people have had issues with healthcare even before it became a hot button topic in the news. And I imagine that the Vanderbilt Center is so popular and has gotten so popular because they've learned how to affirm trans people 
while still following legalities in the healthcare. Yeah. And so the doctors that are doing this affirming care are now under attack with all this legislation that are happening in, in these different um, in these different states. And so this is one of those cases where they are forcing doctors to give trans people's information under the guise of, oh, they could be doing something illegal, da 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 and bam. So what else? What's next? So what's what's currently happening now is that um it, it has been picked up federally. The, this case has been noticed federally and, and it's being picked up federally. Right now, they're doing a federal in, investigation to determine whether or not this expose of trans patients is a civil rights violation. If, if it is determined that this is a civil rights violation, then of course, all of the, the patients who all of the patients will will have access or they will have a fighting chance at a civil suit against Tennessee. Good. I think that's dope. I think because not only does it, we, we're clocking that y'all playing this fucking game, but we're also clocking that this could be potentially a HIPAA violation. This could be you, you giving our information to these people can put us in harm's way in so, on so many levels. I think Seriously. it, I, I don't think it's a question whether or not it is a HIPAA violation. It's definitely a HIPAA violation. That's why there's all the legality around obtaining this paperwork because doctor, client, confidentiality, and privilege are real things and, and are real things that we need in existence in not, not just this country, but in societies worldwide. You should be able to have a relationship with your doctor where you could feel comfortable telling them anything that's going on with your body, anything that you're concerned is going on with your body, and your brain being part of your body, anything that's going on or concerned with your mind as well. If we don't have this privacy, if we don't have this, this access to this privacy, it, it's no longer a private conversation with us and our doctors. Right. Any any state worker or anybody, keep in mind, it, it's already touch and go. It's already a little scary with the idea of anybody in your doctor's office having access to your not only medical information, but your personal information, including your address. It, it can be a bit scary for a trans person. Being a trans person with PTSD, it's a bit scary for me personally. So now not only do I have to worry about my my specific doctor's office, now not only do I have to worry about Vanderbilt Medical Center having my personal information, knowing that I'm trans, knowing everything about my transition, knowing where I live, knowing my family members. Not only do I have to be concerned about that, but now I have to be concerned about government entities, multiple government entities having the same exact information. I have to be concerned about being out as trans to multiple government entities that in itself is dangerous as mm. we both report on commonly we are not just discriminated against but killed in the streets mm. so now multiple government entities have access to knowing that i'm trans knowing other things about me medically knowing all things about me medically knowing things about me that family members not may not even know and on top of that this in itself is a transphobic government. Nashville in itself has 
Nashville in itself has labeled themselves as a transphobic as a transphobic government when they're electing these transphobic officials. Yes. So I'm I'm supposed to expect that these government entities full of transphobic voters. I shouldn't be I shouldn't have any concern about them having access to me being trans and knowing where I live. An element that I want to add as well is, I think you're totally right in the assessment of that, but also we've already fought this right to our privacy. Um, when we think about Griswold versus Connecticut, when we think about um, Estad Beard in 19, that was in 65, um, Estad versus Beard in 1971, when we think about, the, particularly to our community, um, the LGBT community, Lawrence versus Texas in 2003. These are like three prolific cases in, in our history that were about privacy, that were about um, extending the right of privacy to, when it comes to our cases. Um, um, ESTAD was about contracept contraceptives in unmarried couples. They found that it was con constitutionally protected for individual um, to not have to talk about contraception to people. Um, and Lawrence versus Texas is what we do in our bedroom. It, you can't come in our bedroom and make it illegal because that's none of your business. You can't charge us for sodomy because you think we fucking, that's our fucking business that we're doing to consenting adults. That is our business. And so um, this is something I feel like that, we, that even I feel like even that that argument could be made here. I feel like even that argument can be be made with trans people. Yeah, you and I we're openly trans and we're publicly trans and visibly trans. But that's not the case for every trans person. For a lot of trans people, they are only trans. Their trans existence lies in their bedroom, if there at all. And I, I feel like that that could be argued here as well. What happens between my legs? What happens in my bedroom is my business. We've already fought and won cases around parental privacy as well. When it comes to um, a parent and a child, how how that privacy um, plays out in the courtroom as well. Because what me and my what me and my child and our doctor and what's going on between us, we've already fought the cases decades ago that says that that privacy is protected just like everybody else's individual privacy as well and so with these people trying to challenge these the, the trying to challenge these kind of privacy issues they're i feel like they're just trying it and see they're just like I, let's just try it and see even though they know they're gonna lose it still just revs up their base in order to get them you know, rally to go vote, rally against us as trans people because we are that kind of litmus test that's happening it's, nowadays. It's obvious. It's obvious. Even even in doing this this show with you for for the second week and doing my own live streams and and talking publicly about trans issues, it's literally it's literally the same shit in the news every day regarding us. And I don't know about you, but I warned people, the closer that it got to election year, the closer that it got to election season, the more trans issues were, were going to be used as a distraction. And in reality, they weren't going to talk about real trans issues. They were just going to 
create issues to dehumanize trans people. And that's literally all I've been seeing. Every mainstream news story is still about trans people in sports or trans healthcare. And it's like, we, it, it's, it's ridiculous. Mm. It's, it's ridiculous. You, you're trying to make a boogeyman out of, out of the trans people saying that, um, you know, these, these big, scary trans people are going to come and, you know, lure your kids and convince them into being trans. Look, they're trying to play sports in school. Look, they're, they're trying to, um, transition as children. When, when in reality, those, those conversations are, are unrealistic. When they talk about trans athletes, they're talking about the same five or 10 people over, over and over again, including the children. When they're talking about trans kids in healthcare, in all actuality, for most trans kids, the, the health affirming care is, is really testing their, their hormone levels. They're, they're not doing nothing with these kids. These kids aren't getting surgeries. You know, the, like I said before, the youngest trans person to ever have any surgery was Kim Petras, the, the now pop star. Yeah, she you was know, 16, and, and she, and but she, she was, was in Dutch. Wasn't she somewhere in the Dutch area? Yeah, Germany. Germany, yeah. She was in a, a whole different country. That, that America, that's not the same thing. And and if I'm not mistaken, Kim Petras is now in her 30s, and it ain't been nobody since her. There, there's not there's not that many of us. And and honestly, a lot of us are trying to push the narrative um to accept people regardless of what's between their legs or or how they present so that it's not necessary for any trans person, child or adult, or it feels less necessary for trans people, children or adult to do drastic things to transition socially. So I want to know, what do y'all think? Do y'all think that it is a civil rights violation for these trans patients to have their medical records shared with the state of Tennessee? Let me know. Do do you think that it's wrong? Do you think that it's okay? Would you not care? Hashtag Marsha's Plate. All right, so I came across this video. This is a hotel guy, but it was interesting. This is his name is um Kabai Kameen and he would be in kind of that that kind of hotel older guy that Eric all the hotel niggas the black dudes like and you know and he was a guest on one of these podcasts you know the red pill podcast the bros passport bros they always talking negative about women misogynistic women are too masculine all that kind of shit they this is that type of podcast but and I don't really fuck with them like that. But sometimes there's some clips of their show that I'm like, ah, y'all thought this was about to be something that it wasn't. And this is one of those moments. He was uh, he was a guest on the show and they were trying to, you know, you know, anytime you're doing a podcast that is this type of show, they try to bait their their guest into these kind of you know, moments of, oh, they're going to say something spicy that's going to go viral, blah, 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 blah. So it felt like they were trying to bait him into saying something against the LGBT community. And 
this is what he said. So I want you to listen to it and then you tell me what you think and then we'll go from there. In African, you know, ancient African cultures, was did homosexuality exist? Yes. Okay. For as long as there's been man and woman, there's always been all measure of between. Gotcha. Period. You know, to That's even documented? Deal- That's documented? That's science. Mm. That's science. And, and, and I think that I was hoping I hear that. I know. I know. There's a lot of people. You see, a lot of people say, "Brother, I was rolling with you until then." <laughs> but that's how I feel, and I cannot be one way in another way and not be honest and upfront in another. And I you have to have be that. able to feel free to be able to let you know I judge a human being by the content of their character, mm-hmm. not by any of the isms that create schisms. Mm-hmm. I have known people with great honor who have lived many different ways. And all I judge you on is the content of your character. Okay. I mind my own damn business. Mm-hmm. Because the day I started minding my own damn business was the day I came to realize how much damn business I have to mind. Mm. And if I'm loving my life, I don't have time to get into your pants to figure out what you're doing. You better say it. That's just how I feel, family. Couple points I want to make. I'm I'm familiar with that brother and his teachings. You know anybody who's familiar with the whole Hotep movement and the Hidden Colors documentaries and all that. You you familiar with that brother? He's he's the same. He's the same brother who came up and been doing the work like the Dr. Umar's and the Tyreek Nashi. Right. Right. He's just the older, for old head version of that. Which is very likely a wiser version, right? Which is, which is very likely wiser well read. In, in a more experienced version, right? I believe that he, I believe that we have been exposed with this clip going viral. I believe that we have been exposed to why this brother's teachings and voice is not as loud as the Tyreek Nashis and the Dr. Umar's. I believe that we haven't heard a lot from this brother, not because he hasn't been speaking since the Hidden Colors documentaries, because, but because a lot of but because a lot of other hotels haven't wanted to hear what that man had to say, just like the man in the podcast told him, oh, I was hoping you didn't say that. That pissed me off, bitch. Because my thing is, why are you invested? Why, just honestly, I just don't understand why men like this, why are you invested in queer people not existing in Africa? Like, why are you trying to, why are you trying to stop that out? What, why are you, what do you get out of us not existing? What do you get out of it? I have a theory. I have a theory. Um, No, the average host have doesn't want ancient African civilizations to have supported homosexuality and gender variants. No, they they don't want that to have existed in ancient African cultures because they want an excuse for it not to have to exist in their morality. They want an excuse for it not to have to exist in their ethical laws. They want to they want an excuse to continue to condemn gender variants, homosexuality, and any type of anything outside of toxic masculinity and black men they they want these things not to exist because if they have to accept homosexuality if they have to accept transgenders then they may have to accept things about themselves that they don't want to acknowledge and y'all want to be free though like they're like if we think about the harms that are being caused by men to other men when we think about the criminality of men when we think about you know who commits the crimes when it comes to 
um, abuse, when you, when it comes to molestation, when it comes to this, you are usually needing. That's also the myth of men being protectors. Motherfucker, y'all ain't protecting nobody because y'all are the motherfuckers who out here doing it and y'all don't stop that shit. Anyway, that's a whole other topic. But in my brain, I'm like, you will be saved. You and your sons and anybody who, who more statistically is likely to harm you is going to be a man. And so... The things that are harming you when it comes to toxic masculinity and patriarchy who, that are harming men where you can't be free about your sexuality, where you can't be free about how you dress, where you can't be free about your emotional emotionality and getting care and being able to be vulnerable. Most of that stuff is being policed by other men. So actually allowing people outside of cis heteronormativity to be free allowed you to be free as well. The same man who the the same man who is seen as a bum in the hood because he's dealing with unmanaged depression because he don't even know where to begin on his mental health journey because he's scared to be seen as a punk to go get mental health assistance or he's scared to be seen as anything other than a man, right? He he just gonna sit and, and live off of black women, right? This gotta same gotta be tough. I can't cry. And this this same guy who is dealing with this closet depression, the same guy who can't get a job and can't keep a job because he's not showing up to work or because he's showing up to work late is because he's depressed. It's because he don't want to leave the house. It's because he don't want to get out of the bed, honey. It's because he's probably self-medicating with some type of substance, honey. This same man who is depressed will be the same person who is the biggest fan of the misogynistic toxic masculine patriarchy pushing hotep motherfucker who is at the same time convincing him not to go get no motherfucking mental health assistance to get out of the position that he's in get out of the bed and get out of depending off black women and 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 on that note I also want you to clock and do not let it slip because a lot of times you hear these men talking about self-care we're talking about um going and getting therapy you you see these cishet men these particular like therapists or particular you know people with platform talking now about going to get therapy we women queer people we are the ones who gave y'all the room to even be talking about it in the way that y'all talking about it right now in our culture we are the ones who gave you the room to say Baby, you might need to get some help. It is not some gay shit or some white man shit to go get help and go get um, a therapy. It is not that. And now we see men talking about it more often because we have given y'all the room to be able to be more outside of that box. I hope y'all acknowledge that. We have also been the first to be preaching that transgenderism and homosexuality, gender variance and sexual variance is not a white man's thing. That is not the white man's concoction. It was not built by the white man. We have also been the ones who have been telling them that the white man and the colonizer did build the foundation of homophobia and did build the foundation of transphobia. And we, we were the ones who started this conversation. And now you hear other cis people having this conversation. Come on. 
it goes it goes back to the whole mindset of um why would the white man ever had to invent the cotton gin he wasn't picking and refining cotton <laughs> he wasn't he had other people doing it we had to invent it to help us do our work <laughs> and he took the credit because the nigga couldn't get it and that's exactly what what's happening today in this transphobic climate honey all right so this is the second part of this that kind of frustrated me so Jumping i in. feel like now more than ever and this agenda is being pushed on us which ma which makes this i'm very skeptical about where and why this is coming at us so hard so fast and you referring to specifically just like uh the whole lgbtq or yes okay especially as it relates to when we even speaking on things like the the transgender where someone now believes that they have a different spirit inside of them so now i want to back this with science okay and i want to go about adjusting physically my gender to what i feel my spirit is inside of me now when this stuff gets pushed heavily like that again that's where my skepticism and actual worry comes from because i'm when when someone pushes these thoughts into your mind it confuses me to know whether it's now nature or nurture where this is really coming from and do you believe because you're saying there is an element of nature where this can actually exist yes but do you believe that if it's pushed to us in droves there can actually be an element of nurture where this is now put onto you where it wasn't wasn't necessarily of your nature originally that would be hard for me because like i say with all this agenda that they push see first of all i don't trust them the other thing is is that if you speak to many lgbtq people of african descent they'll tell you the lgbtq movement is not theirs this is for white people mm. okay brothers will tell you immediately that ain't got nothing to do with us that's for white men but they're using us as the buffer to break down the walls so they can march in like they do everything else okay this is a natural law to me this is not a man-made law and the pushing of the agenda is to continue to confuse us as to what the real deal is and that is why we are in opposition to it so if you divide us you'll conquer us. i want to say this we have to get out of our bubble and get out of our tunnel vision when it comes to issues this is a black man this is a black man talking about their agenda the lgy they pushing this agenda i know that in the 40s 50s and 60s that there were white people who were trying to intellectualize this change that was happening when it comes to black people just like further way back when they was trying to make it seem um draptomania where it was you know you actually had a psychologist a, a psychologist saying a sociologist saying that you trying to run away from slavery was a mental illness <laughs> but I, we don't even need to go all the way back there right in the process of this change happening from the 40 50 and 60s i'm pretty sure that there were white people thinking and not not on no um even the ones who are kind of on the fence thinking like oh my god why is this change happening why is why 
why, what is going on with the black people where, where Jim Crow is not enough? What is happening? Like, what's this agenda that they're trying? We have lived this, this culture for so long, this culture that says white people are here and black people are here, that black people are um, beneath us on all level, education level, physical level, blah, 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 blah. Even though the science is different, even though the science tell us different, we are different in, in we are we are superior than them. This is what they were raised on. And now these niggas is trying to come up out of this cultural thing and change our culture and say Jim Crow is not is not enough for them. They want equal. They don't want equal, just equal and separate. They want something more. What is happening? Why are they pushing this agenda? What is happening with this? I am pretty sure there were some white people who were making these same exact talking points that you are making about our agenda. But what you don't understand is that I am a trans girl who came out in the 90s and what you are just now respecting trans people's intelligence to have these conversations on a serious level. We have grown from the Jerry Springer's sensational, these crazy people that think that they are a man, they're a man trapped in a, a woman's body or a woman trapped in a man's body. Now we are, you actually taking us seriously. You are actually listening to us and not, you know, having the serious conversation about trans people, not necessarily listening to us seriously, but having the serious cultural discourse about our existence. You didn't care about us in the 90s. I was there. You didn't care about us in the 90s. And even the, that, and that's 30 years ago. In the, in the, in the, um, 30 years from that, when it was the 70s, when we were having the stone walls, when we were, at, when there was trans women, the Miss Majors, the Sharon Graysons, the, all the trans women who were existing in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. That existed. You didn't care about them. And you're making it because you are a cishet person that does not have to care about things outside of your, your tunnel vision. You are just now thinking that this is some agenda being pushed on you. We have been out here fighting. We have been, look, and you have benefited from that fight. You have a gender variant person, Polly Murray, who actually is the brain who created for Board of, Board of Ed, Browns versus Board of Education to be fought and won. When it comes to women's rights, when it comes to black men's rights, one of the reasons why you have what you have is come from a queer gender variant person's mind because we have been out here fighting. And, she, and, and Polly was born in the early 1900s. So this is not some new agenda. You are just now paying a, a hundred years later since she was born. You are just now paying attention to it. You are just now hearing some of our gripes because we're getting some type of bullhorn to speak to you, motherfuckers. This isn't new. It's new to you. And our agenda is to is the same. Humanity. See our humanity and be treated fairly and not being killed and not being murdered and pushed out of us pursuing our happiness that all Americans are looking for. That's the only agenda. And so it pisses me off when niggas be acting like, ooh, it's some kind of agenda happening 
And it's just not. It's the same gender, uh, the uh, same agenda that you have been fighting for and your ancestors have been fighting for. It's for us to be treated as equal or and human. That is what we are being fighting for. That is period. That's the agenda. The host was making this argument that now that trans people are more visible in, in mainstream media, that, you know, the agenda, we are potentially brainwashing kids, right? And into thinking that um, they're trans. And into thinking that they're trans or that they can be trans or that or or that trans is, is a possibility, right? And and in this, he said that um his exact quote was feeling like a man who is a woman spiritually or feeling like a woman who is a man or has a man spirit, right? Some he said something something to, to that extent. I'm paraphrasing. First of all, I don't feel like a man with the spirit of a woman. Me personally, I don't feel like the woman with the spirit of a man. I feel like me. And in me expressing myself and me being true to how I want to dress, to how I want to present, me being true to my voice and not attempting to sound masculine, me being true to my body shape and not attempting to to work out to fit certain standards, me pursuing and feminizing my look was for me to be happy in my skin. That's it. We keep telling y'all that this is psychosocial because socially, I mean, because psychologically, this is just how I like to look. This is just how what I like to see me. This is how I like to see me when I look in the mirror. This is this is how I like to wear my hair. This is how I like to smell. You know what I mean? Um, this this is how I like to dress, how I like to look, this the the side of the store I like to shop on, the side of the store that that tends to have the things that fit with my style. You know, um, I tend to feel more comfortable in, in this restroom because I look more like these people and I feel less vulnerable in this it's this restroom. I feel like I won't get attacked here. You know, I I feel like I won't get raped here. In, in in this rest, restroom, I won't get ostracized here with other people who look like me and present like me and dress like me and wear their hair like me and talk like me. This is me psychologically. The social aspect of that is how other people perceive me. The rest of the world, because of the way I dress, because of the way I sound, because of the way I look, the rest of the world perceives this as womanhood. The rest of the world perceives me as a woman. The rest of the world perceives me as a feminine being because of simply who I am, what I like, and how and how I express myself. And this ain't how I express myself because I've seen another trans woman do it. This ain't how I express myself because this is how I see my mother do it. And all of my life experience and all of the things that I've been exposed to, male, female, masculine, feminine, androgynous, non-binary, life, breathing, these, this is just who I am. And by social standards, I fall into the feminine, female, woman box. Because when I walk down the street, you're going to see the way I dress. You're going to see the way I look. You're going to see my hair. You're going to hear the way I sound. You're going to see my body. You're not going to see my genitals. You're not going to see my original birth certificate. 
This is the social construct that we are talking about. First of all, just just to just to clarify that, because a lot of people who are not trans are quick to talk about how they think we feel. And they may be using examples from how a particular trans person felt. But it's very necessary for us to reinforce our perspectives of our own transness, of our own identity. This is just me. And I'm just following social law by calling myself a woman because I'd be a damn fool to think that I walk out in the world and people see a man. I'd be a damn fool to think that I walk out in the world and people sense a man. Also, understand that just like Bree talked about her own experience in, 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 her, in her social aspect of who she is and how she's presented to a world, it is a combination between nature and nurture. It is a, we are all in a combination between nature and nurture in how we are presenting. I don't care how cis het normative you are. I don't care how not, how cis you are, how heterosexual you are, wherever you fall in the lines of normalcy, normal being whatever is the typical. That is also nurtured in nature. It is both of them affecting how you are presenting to the world. So, do, so this idea, this fear mongering that you're doing about uh, some particular small group that is being groomed or people using the language of grooming or influenced to think that they are trans. We are all influenced by our outside. We are all influenced by our nature. We are all influenced by inside and out of us. And we are all figuring out how that works out in regards to how we are behaving in the world. And sometimes we go too far and sometimes we don't go far enough. And sometimes we go just right. We are all figuring out how to make it just right for us. We are all figuring out how our presentation to the world, how people engage with us, how we're going to survive throughout that presentation. We are all trying to figure that out. What makes you comfortable as a man? All the ideas of what manhood is. You are trying to figure that out for yourself, cishet man. What makes you comfortable as a man? Gay man, you are trying to figure that out for yourself. What, whether you're top, bottom, um, submissive, masculine, whatever those things are, those things, you are trying to figure that out. Cisgender woman, how you navigate womanhood, how you navigate femininity, how you navigate your behavior in relationship into, in regards to what you want out of this life. You are figuring it out as you go. And sometimes things can influence you further out, so f- further from what you want to be, and you see that it's wrong and you got to pull back and figure something out. Or you just too scared to move forward and do something. So you get to where you want to be slowly. You hear these women, older women particularly, saying, oh, my God, I got married when I was in my 20s because that's all I was supposed to do. And blah, 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 blah. And then here they are in their 50s and 60s telling young girls that, oh, shit, don't get married. You need to figure out what you need to do. This is what I would have did. And this is this is what stopped me and adhered me. This society shit stopped me from getting to be living the perfect life. What you see trans people doing is just getting to the perfect life for themselves. How I want to present to the world, how I want to be in this world, how I want to navigate this world. I cannot do it how y'all are trying to tell me to do it. 
my nature is telling me something else and my and society has tried to push this in me and i found a tribe that said "Ooh, i can do it this way and i'm figuring it out sometimes people turn around and need to do a u-turn that's the, that one percent of detransitioning detransitioning trans people there are some people that have to turn around and be like uh, and there are some people who 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 make permanent changes and they gotta and they gotta fucking regret it and eat it we all out here making permanent changes and decisions figuring out how do we how we navigate this world we are all doing that not just trans people not just queer people all of us thank you for and sharing that and that's the only agenda that there is an agenda for for all the hotel for all the straight people who scared for all the cisgender people who scared there is an agenda there the only agenda is that we want the world we want the kids coming up yes i can speak for me and i can speak for a lot of my comrades a lot of my cohort we want the world and we want the next generation and further generations beyond to know that it is okay to be gay it is okay to be lesbian it is okay to be bisexual and it is especially okay to be the ultimate and the omega transgender baby hmm. it is it is okay to exist outside of the binary it is okay to exist within the binary and it is a gift to be able to exist in one lifetime amongst various identity honey that that is a gift that comes with a perspective that very few people are, are going to have yes that is the agenda we we do want the kids to know it's okay to be trans we do want the kids to know that it's it's okay to be lgbt what why 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 not why shouldn't we why, like why you. With the issue the the issue is a lot a lot of y'all who are scared of this agenda y'all want the lgbt to stay in the closet y'all want trans people to not be day walkers y'all want us to, to stay in the house all day and only come out to walk the stroll at night y'all don't want us to have real jobs y'all don't want us to be able to compete in housing y'all y'all don't y'all yeah. don't y'all don't have no legitimate reason or excuse outside of the fact that you're just ignorant that that's not honey you can trace it back you can jump down the rabbit hole by your motherfucking self you gonna be in the dark girl dark ignorance absence of knowledge baby honey yes the kids will know the the agenda is succeeding what whether you realize it or not honey the kids are realizing they're learning more and more every day thanks to the internet and beyonce that it is okay <laughs> to be gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, pansexual, queer, intersex, questioning, detransitioning, all, all of the things. It, it is okay. It is okay to not have to fit these stereotypes and these labels that they put on people because of what's between their legs when they're born. It is okay. It is fine, honey. And we are moving closer to world peace by accepting things like that. Y'all want to continue keeping people below y'all feet for what? Or what? Or what? You know why? Because a lot of y'all haven't learned how to truly love yourselves and y'all don't see the value in yourselves. And that's why you're scared of other people being valuable. Mm -hmm. mm. You are, you have been bamboozled by the white, white supremacist patriarchal idea that you, if you invest in this, you're going to get power. Absolutely, you can, but it's, it's that toxic power that keeps you in harm as well. I have two young nephews. I don't know what their identity is going to be. 
Right now, they are, they've been identified as my nephews. I want them, even if they grow up to be cis heterosexual men, I want them to be loving, caring, healthy ideas, have healthy ideas of masculinity, have healthy ideas of manhood, have healthy ideas of what relationships look like between them and the women that they partner the children that they have. I want them to be healthy men. I don't want them to be toxic, gross, disgusting, harmful men. So I want them to, I want my agenda also frees them as well. Not just the, the cis, I mean, not just the um, gay and trans people coming up. I also want the cishet people to be free as well. So tell us what you think about this conversation. Tell us what you think about the agenda, whether it be the trans agenda, LGBT agenda, hashtag Marsha's Plate. Gimme, gimme, gimme euphoria, more than peace of mind. It's the joy in space to change the tide. Gimme, gimme, gimme euphoria, more than peace of mind. It's the joy in space to change the tide. Gimme, gimme, gimme you a feeling. And the high can never come down from whoa, 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 whoa. So Bree, tell me what has been bringing you euphoria this week. What's been making you happy and bringing you trans joy or joy in general? What has been just the highlight of your week? What is bringing you euphoria? Well, as I shared, you know, last week, my first time here, I've been going through a transition period in my life. Um, you know, I, I had a traumatic breakup about a year ago, and I'm completely rebuilding financially, spiritually, emotionally, physically from that relationship. Right. Last last week, I shared that, um, you know, that that dating and kind of like interviewing for, for a fuck buddy was 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 my euphoria that that is still going well we don't have an official fuck buddy yet we don't have an official friend with benefits yet honey but um but we're getting close i think we're getting real close honey. We, <laughs> we got a cup we actually have a couple of contenders baby all right but what's new this week that's bringing me joy is um not only was i offered to to partner with you and be part of this experience i also got two more job offers i got two i, I was telling hey. i was telling diamond secretly that i have been looking for you know a, a new nine to five job even if it's only part-time to help supplement my income you know because i do social media full-time so yeah i've gotten two two job offers um I like both of the offers. Um, right now, we're doing onboarding for both because I still haven't decided which which one I I want more. But I'm I'm very excited. I'm I'm very excited to be getting back into my judge to be getting back into people's heads full time. Ah, oh, I love that. What's bringing you euphoria this week? Oh gosh! So anybody know, who knows me. No, I love a nasty, comfortable shoe. I love a shoe that is comfortable, uh, whether it be a heel or a flat. Usually, you know, since since I've gotten bigger, I haven't been able to find shoes in my size (laughs) because I'm right at the edge. I'm right at the 11, 12 mark. And sometimes 
Mm. Honey, it gets real witchy and real late when it comes to sizing up in shoes. So when I find shoes that are comfortable and fly, I, I, I really, really, really try to try to jump on that bandwagon. But on my everyday, when I'm just tipping around and I'm running errands, da, 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 I always have on what I call them. I call them my white, my white lesbian shoes. <laughs> the Tevas. I love Tevas. T-E-V-A. Tevas. Have you ever heard of Tevas? No, I'm about to look this up while you're talking about it. I call them my, my white lesbian shoes. Look them up if you tell me if that's exactly what they is. <laughs> I, was, I was thinking, when you said that, I was thinking Birkenstocks. Very not far from Birkenstocks. <laughs> Literally, by the time the S came out of Birkenstocks, honey, this is what I was I was seeing on on my screen, honey, a Birkenstock with a platform. <laughs> so yes, so they're very the white lesbian shoe of choice, like a Birkenstock, but that you know they're a little bit more strappy. <laughs> <clears throat> so, so I love them. I love them, especially the one that are kind of like this rubber shape. They're like the like Crocs a little bit. They're not shaped like Crocs, but they have that kind of foamy that you can just wipe down and clean. There are some that are like um, fabric and canvasy kind of, but they're really strappy and comfortable. A lot of people use them to go on hikes. It's just comfortable shoe. So, recently, Misha Hilton. You know who Misha Hilton is? Sounds familiar. Misha Hilton is that she is the stylist of them that that did the iconic of Mary J. Blige, Lil Puffy Kim, X. Puffy Puffy's ex, Justin's uh, mother, mother. Mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. P Diddy brought her to fame. She's that blonde Asian looking black girl that was in all the is. videos of Biggie and blah blah blah. So she's a stylist. They're kind of giving her her props now. She did a collab with Tiva. And I was out of fucking town in Amsterdam when it was going on. So I was so busy that I didn't clock that it was that the sale was going on. Her her collab with them. They they they're that they're like these rose gold Tevas with this like metal hardware. It they were so fucking dope. And when I went, I was like, oh my God, my size. They had a, they done sold out of my motherfucking size. So I was pissed off. I was over it. The other day, my homegirl, Janicia, from um, Tiva Queen of J, she sent me a link saying, bitch, your size is back available. And I went in there. They said, there's one more left. I went in there and bought them so fast, and they came. And I really, really love them. If you can see, they're like a rose gold pink with this gold-like little hardware and this thing to go around the ankle. They're just a super, super cute and comfortable ass Tiva that are rose gold and pink, and they have been bringing me joy. People have been complimenting me on them, and I'm like, yes, <laughs> they are too cute. They are too cute. I I definitely like them. I've definitely been seeing everybody in them. Round these parts where I'm from, um, they like you said, they are reserved for the for the white people. The white people tend to wear them. <laughs> I might I might have to break through a pair. I, I might have to break through. Yes, I love it. So that is what's been bringing me euphoria this week just my purchases i got a couple of more but y'all gonna have to see them later because they're a little (laughs) so i'll i'll show y'all them later but that is what's what's been bringing me euphoria 
So I think we did a show and I want y'all to tell us what's been bringing y'all euphoria this week. We want to hear your joys. We want to hear your happiness. And yeah, Bree, I want to thank you again for joining us for, uh, for our, our hosting cast. I think you are fabulous. I think you're amazing. And yeah, we will see y'all next week. Thank you for having me. See y'all next week. Fun facts about Misha Hilton. She got a lot of style ideas because she was very involved in ballroom scene. Boom. <laughs> well, that's it. Thank you for coming and getting a taste of Marsha's plate. You can listen to us on iTunes and SoundCloud. Make sure you leave a review because we really need those five stars, y'all. And go like our Facebook page and leave some comments. We will be posting exclusive content every Thursday, so you definitely don't want to miss out. You can also follow us on Twitter and any other social media site at Marsha's Plate. If you'd like to donate or advertise with us, hit us up at diamondstyles at gmail.com. That's diamondstylz at gmail.com. And that's it for us, y'all. Bye. Bye-bye. You gonna say bye, Mia? Oh, bye, y'all. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Every little thing's gonna be all right. Oh, don't you worry about a thing. Baby, it's a thing.